Hi there, I'm Akash, founder of Windly, where we fix allergies for life. This is Founders and Builders, where I talk to people who are working hard to bring something new and meaningful into this world. Hey everybody, I'm really excited to bring this conversation with Reshma Kilnani, founder of Medplum, to you today. She's a multi-time entrepreneur who's done truly incredible things. This is going to be a very interesting conversation. Reshma, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Akash, and thanks for that kind intro. It is always humbling to start a startup from scratch, so that's what I'm up to these days. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're up to now and kind of how you got there? I'm Reshma, CEO of Medplum, and we are making an electronic health record that's open source, but it's highly programmable. That's kind of our product. We are in the current YC batch. We just had our demo day, so on summer 22. And I come to this field, to this product, having built healthcare apps over 10 years. I was a YC founder way back in the day in winter 13, when I was making an imaging software. The company was called MedXT. We made RISPAX, which is a medical imaging type of solution, and really learned a lot about the gross underbelly of all these medical and healthcare systems from that experience and have used that tool in Medplum. So that's really what we're up to. How deep in the weeds should we go? Okay. Thank you for that intro. How'd you get started your very first time with MedXT? Let's start there. Before I got into healthcare software, I was kind of a more traditional tech person. I had a job at Microsoft and Facebook and had a career in tech. And I would, on the side, do programming for doctor friends because they had various <laughs> problems. So this was kind of my intro to healthcare. Particularly at Facebook, we were working on FaceWeb. This sounds really old school now, but we were trying to load a ton of images into the mobile web browser and not have it crash. And that was what we were working on. This is actually very applicable for medical imaging, because if you're trying to load a gig of CT scans into Chrome and be able to view them without installing a Java applet, you kind of use the same techniques. It was nothing about like, oh, this is a great market opportunity or anything like that. It was like, oh, I know a few rads who would like to be able to read their medical imaging studies from home without installing Java. That was it. Our first customers were really like radiologists who wanted a better lifestyle, who I knew personally. I think that makes a ton of sense. It's actually very similar to how my co-founder and I got started. I had a tech background. He was a new doctor who had some tech problems and well, I'm related to him. So he decided that I was the inevitable IT guy. It sounds like your friends probably got you involved with a little bit more of the glory. Oh, no. There was relatives in there, too, for sure. That point goes. But it's, um, it's like, oh, you know, Rachel, she doesn't do medicine. She helps us, you know, fix our computers. That's her thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that makes a lot of sense. You're taking this information that I'm surprised that it was already digitized and it wasn't all paper. And then you're actually making it consumable on the web or through the web. There was lots of interesting things that I learned my first week trying to do this. So first of all, medical imaging data is not like a JPEG. It's its own special file format, DICOM. And it's an image that you see on your screen, like a JPEG has the single luminosity, but DICOM has a range of luminosity. They call it window level, like adjust the luminosity and the contrast in a very specific way to be able to view it. And I was just hooked by the prospect of 
being able to reconstruct the 3D things and do the window level and build this cool imaging app that I was hooked by the fun tech. And I thought that that was really exciting. And I had an impression like you, Akash, that everything was paper. But actually, if you look at the specialties that are very driven by machine, I'll put lab, imaging, pathology, they have much more of a digital footprint and a lot kind of more mature software. I would say mature in, along two dimensions. It's advanced in some respect, but it's also very crafty because it's not designed <laughs> cloud. Nothing cloud, right? It's a very designed to be an on-premise type of application with very limited use for any kind of web technologies. That was the origin of the first business and making those legacy file formats work in a cloud native environment. By that, I mean, you can view it in the web browser. It has like a load balancer and <laughs> you don't need to install any client software or have any kind of VPN to connect. So that was the essence of that first product. It sounds like, yes, it's like a hard technical problem, but it was important. It sounds like you did a little bit of customer discovery beforehand, right? how did you figure out this was a thing? And then, yeah, let's start there. How did you identify that this was a problem, that this was something you could build? And then how did you get your first five radiologists signed up? We first saw that this was a problem because people were sending around couriers on bikes in the LA area. This was a medical practice who I knew the rad. Couriers on bikes with DVDs around the LA area to deliver DVDs to the home of radiologists so that they could read their images at home. Now, these are highly paid individuals, so they get like a white glove treatment, and that's why they were <laughs> sending the couriers out to them. And for someone who works in software, this sounds ridiculous, especially given like LA <laughs> traffic and all that. It was also indicative of a very painful problem because you have to pay for, you know, the courier. So, oh, well, maybe they would pay me two or three dollars for each study if they didn't have to send the courier. The original product was extremely manual. You take the DVD, the front desk worker at the imaging center, like the MRI center or the mobile ultrasound, would upload the images to our website. We would process them and the doc could see them on their workstation in the browser. They didn't need any client app. They could write their report, send it back. That was it. I love how you said it wasn't super sexy with the DVDs and everything. It was unsexy in a number of ways. <laughs> it was like a medical practice that specialized in workers' comp. So it was like injuries of all kinds. It's not a fancy Stanford medicine or something like that. <laughs> and our first customers were workers' comp and claims. We had several prison. Cool. The rads don't want to go there sometimes. And that type of business where it's especially hard to get a radiologist to like come on site, but they don't have a huge IT budget to spin up the competitor's product, which is $1 million install or something like that. For that first practice, was it through a personal connection, through yeah. just outbound? And then how'd you get practice to three and four? This is a very interesting kind of dynamic, which happens in a lot of industries. I don't think it's unique to medicine, but it's the radiologist that we initially helped who was having the couriers come to him. He had two or three others in his practice. So we hooked them up too, and they served other practices because they all want more gigs. They're like, right. I want for my other practice to also be able to upload online or my prison client to upload online. It was like word of mouth. 
that was pretty much it. We even didn't have anything on the website that was really advertising at all for those first customers. Our website looked like a consulting shop. It's like your IT help for medical practice. <laughs> it was more like a problem solution versus a product. And this is a regulated industry as well. So, you know, you need HIPAA and we needed to get an FDA 510K LLV, which I learned a lot about in order to provide that diagnostic quality experience. Thank you for sharing that. That's very detailed. And I love that unlock of radiologists work for multiple practices. So the radiologists were able to start referring you to other clients. And since you were providing value to the same user, they were super happy. They were happy. And it's a very transactional business. They want to yeah. increase their reimbursement and increase their margin. If they don't have to pay for the courier, they're in good shape. Let's fast forward a little bit. I was trying to decide if like I wanted to share that MedXT was acquired, but I think it's pretty public knowledge, right? Yeah, it's public knowledge. Yeah. MedXT was very successful technology. I think we were quite proud of the product that we built. It had go-to-market challenges at scale in that it was great for SMB, but we're never really like able to transcend into the enterprise. Even though enterprise was attracted by the feature set, but they had trouble visualizing how they would take a dependency on a startup. And this informed Medplum, which I will talk about in a bit. We have Stanford docs and all on it who are using it for their side gig, but they're like, we can't bring it into the main hospital because there's a lot that is required to deliver into that environment. And so we ended up selling the company. It was acquired by Box and Box has a big footprint in healthcare because they were very compliance forward and enterprise forward. And they have a lot of DICOM data. Those are the medical images that were just being uploaded to Box. So we did an integration there. I also got a front row seat to the way Aaron Levy works. He's a very brilliant marketer. And I recommend everyone follow him on Twitter due to his humor as well. But he's a great communicator and marketer and really thinks about the enterprise in a special way. And I was glad for the opportunity to kind of learn from him post-acquisition. Absolutely. So then you went and you did it again. Only yes. this time you were consumer facing instead of small, medium business facing. We're facing. It was also a B2B business, but we made a full stack lab provider. So the company was called Droplet. It's now kit.com. And we were basically providing at home lab services to businesses. And the way it worked is well, the providers like a medical practice or a life insurance company could order a kit to be sent to a patient's home. We would walk them through how to do their specimen collection, send it back to our lab. We would do the lab processing and send the diagnostic report, like a little mini medical service. This was a long time ago, 2017, 18. So it was pre-pandemic. People were like, you're going to lancet people at their home over video? <laughs> it was a completely uh, new idea. Weird idea. It was also a strange time in that the book about Theranos came out when I was fundraising for that business. And literally called here? Bad Blood and you're doing yes. blood collection. <laughs> right. And they're like, are you like that? I was like, no, no, no. I'm going to use a Siemens machine, like Siemens. But that company became kit.com and that's now part of Bro. I rebuilt a lot of the workflows and the software that we first touched at MedXT again for Droplet. And I think... It's really started to crystallize in my mind how repeatable the patterns are even in the different domains. And this great data model, great infrastructure that has 
a lot of the things that you see in other domains as a professional software engineer, like fintech has great infra in that regard and developing web applications. Healthcare doesn't really have it. I couldn't find it. So that is really the origin of Medplum, these two experiences and having a chance to develop an app like this as well for other startups over the years. And seeing the struggles other startups have gone through, because I know that you advise me some myself and we're a medical startup. We probably had to build something that you've now done that if Medplum had been there, we would have chosen to use y'all. I think that brings us to Medplum, right? Yeah. Where you have two new startups worth of experience. You've gotten very deep in this. How do you build a healthcare startup that's delivering services to end users? Talk to me about a major decision you made with Medplum and how your previous experience led you to that decision. After two startups, they were both acquired, but they weren't what I had hoped for them. I think there was a lot of challenges and I decided to take some time to think critically about my next step. And I spent a year at YC as a visiting group. So that was kind of the break in the middle. And I learned a lot about open source models at that time. I worked with Dalton Caldwell. He's one of the group partners and got a chance to sit in in his group office hours where he was advising open core companies and just started to turn over in my mind how this might apply to healthcare. I'll set the stage a little bit for how we think about the problem. Like you described, Akash, the monolith EHR era is over. We're in a world now where something as specific as my electric bike has its own little management app. But the idea that diabetes and psoriasis are handled by the same app seems crazy, right? The idea that every condition, maybe even geographic location or population would have a purpose-built app that really focuses on solving this problem is the way the future is headed. Other sectors like FinTech have had this same revolution. Healthcare is just a bit behind. And we at Metclum believe that the EHR will smash into thousands of apps maybe tens of thousands, hopefully, that will solve different problems in a very high fidelity way. But these apps have a lot of the same common features, data management, compliance, this kind of combination of transactional, but you need to aggregate to a higher level. So you're either doing appointments or lab tests or something day-to-day -day in your workflow, but you need to have a perspective about the overall health of a patient and their life cycle and trajectory. So. With this common framework, but this advanced functionality needed, we do think that there's an opportunity for a platform that helps you focus on the specifics of your application and not have to worry as much about the infrastructure. And the reason we think open source is very compelling for this particular model is that a lot of the way this is solved today is by custom app development and hooking up systems that are designed to be closed. So you're doing integration adversarially with non-open systems. And as a result, the whole infrastructure is very brittle. If you had a system that's well understood, like you can just introspect exactly how it works. It's a much more effective way to solve problems. We see this in other domains as well, you know, data infrastructure, Airbyte and post-hog and stuff have used this model very effectively in other domains. Tell me if I'm getting too in the weeds here, Akash. No, I'm loving it. I think especially you found yourself surrounded by people that were exceptional when it comes to open core, yeah. uh, right? You, you'd been at Box, which was super enterprise sales focused. 
So yeah. you'd seen that angle. And that's the angle that dominates healthcare. Open core is, I, I don't want to explain it because I want you to explain it actually for the audience. I want to hear it in the words of someone who's doing it. But I believe GitLab, which IPO'd, I think last year, PostHog, which is also doing very well, fall within this space. I think Elastic also fits as open core. Yes. It's a new way of getting in front of the people who are actually building yeah. the developers themselves because you're kind of letting them play with the tools, right? Letting them into the sandbox. I think it's very interesting how you recognize that that was something that was critical for you. And then you made a lot of decisions based around that. Just for the audience, do a quick overview of open core, provide us a, like a small example of how MedPlum's open core might let any engineer spin something up. Open core is where you have an application or set of applications that you release the source code online. So anybody can go and get it. Ours is on GitHub. These are typically pretty low level components. You would use them to build your application and solve a specific problem that you have. In our case, our core application is an implementation of FHIR, a fast healthcare interoperability resources. So the data layer. Then we have smart on fire identity management. So it's like a OAuth++ identity provider service. And then an integration toolkit, we call it bots, where you can basically stream in a streamlined way, write adapters to different systems in healthcare. You need a PDF representation of this data, or you need a CCDA representation or an HL7 representation. That's what the integration toolkit is for. Those are our open source products. And we encourage anybody who is listening to just go and check them out and try to use them for their use case. We provide similar to other commercial open source companies, a hosted version, which we have done all the compliance for HIPAA, SOC 2, type 2, penetration tests, all the advanced change management and the like. So if you wanted to just get that included, you can use our hosted service. And for those who are interested, this is usually features for people who are director level and above, not individual contributor engineers. There's a set of tooling for them as well, like advanced audit, or if you're going through ONC certification or CLIACAP certification, we have toolkits for those, which is more for different departments other than engineering. We're meant to appeal to engineers help them solve their problems. In a healthcare organization, you have a lot of pressing day-to-day -day needs and you almost won't ever have time to invest in like a very robust, high uptime, very high tests, lots of security features. So we provide that to you, organization, so you don't have to invest in it and you can focus more on your business logic, which is what's your secret sauce. But that's the thinking. What's been an unexpected challenge of open core? Unexpected challenge of open core is there aren't the same profile of developers yet in healthcare as you see in other domains. So that has been actually a surprise. There are little constituencies. There's data <laughs> engineers, web developers, front end. I had certain assumptions about the mix before starting the company, just based on my general purpose developer life, where I meet kind of people across all segments. In healthcare, we find that the web developers are maybe fewer and far between than we would expect and more of the <laughs> data engineer type. 
are more prevalent. So that has been a learning for us, but it's a very dynamic environment and people are moving from other sectors. So that's our opportunity too. I wouldn't have thought that a certain type of developer segment would be a better fit for open core than other developers. It makes sense now that it's said to me. How have you reacted to that difference in your customer segment, so to speak, in your first adopters at a healthcare company? We've been working on a template. It's called foomedical.com, which is an open source one medical-like application that you basically can clone, customize, and run. It's meant to be a bit higher level and more batteries included than our core offering that we originally rolled out first. So that's been one of the ways that we've kind of adapted. The thinking there is that even if you're not steeped in web development, you could, in a very streamlined way, deploy a static site on something like Vercel. It doesn't require as much web development expertise, but the kind of data elements, if you were into that, would be accessible to you. It's like a little bit of a bridge between communities from our perspective. I think that's brilliant. You're enabling your customer base to achieve the outcomes that they want. We hope so. For listeners out there, if you want to go to foomedical.com, the footer has the source code and you can just register for the application and see how it works. Here comes a question that you can't avoid. We talked about how you found your first 10 customers with MedXT. How'd you find your first 10 customers with MedPlum? You always start with the people that you know. And I basically went to folks I know and asked them if they want me to install the open source product that our team has built for them in their company. How was that reception? Well, we have some customers, so. Hell yeah. I love hearing that. For the audience, I think getting your first customers is always hard. For entrepreneurs who are like from a technical background, it's probably the biggest learning curve. Just how much you have to really push, listen and try and adapt to people's problems to get where they're going. But similar to MedXT in the radiology example, like, okay, it's an open source product. We send in a team of people. So one of my co-founders, his name is Rahul Agarwal. He was at Palantir, so he's very experienced in how to do these deployment where you're basically helping people get set up and we are providing them without like a higher level of service than you would expect a mature product company to have. Their success is our success. And we start with those we know we're going to help you install. We're going to make sure that you're successful. And that is what we're going to do. We try to have this high fidelity relationship with our initial customers and get them where they need to go. The developers who are in those organizations, they know that we're using open source. They go and they see it and they join our Discord and they use it for their personal projects. That is the equivalent of the other radiologists in the MedXT <laughs> land. We want to start the virtuous cycle with, but we're just at the beginning and it's always humbling to start from scratch. I think we're being students of GitLab and PostHog and their kind of journey. We know that if this is really built person by person, it's not like you release and you get web scale immediately. That's not the way it works. It's a hard fight for those first 10, first 100. I don't know what number you're at, but you really have to get in front of your first 100 customers and talk to them and listen to them. It's not as easy. Especially with healthcare, back to our core customer who are developers, like they have different levels of healthcare experience. We've been kind of steeped in it for a decade and we're very familiar with all the data types and the object model and the specs. But it's very intimidating for folks who have not seen it before. If you've ever looked at the fire spec, for example, it just can look scary. So 
over time, we have come to really respect the spec and we try to have our products help you be conform with the spec, but it's a communication exercise that we have to build with our customers over time. You've been doing the startup and founder game for some time. What would you go back and tell yourself right before you got your first MedXT customer? If you had just two sentences that you could send back in time. The sentence that I would send back in time for myself is really to persist. I think the startup journey has a lot of ups and downs. And I do realize that with MedXT, we should have actually kept on going. We didn't know what the future was going to be like, but I do think if MedXT had been around for 10 years instead of having sold so long ago, it would have been very different and it was very ahead of its time. And with Medplon, we are thinking about that in a similar way. We are trying to take a very long-term focus and visualize. If you look into the future, how will all this medical data be managed, stored, loaded into applications? Look at that future, build for that future. But we know we have to like meet some short-term goals. We, in our startup journey, did not have that long-term focus that we should have back in the day. So that would be my number one advice to myself. And having gone through YC twice, once 10 years ago, They've really leveled up the messaging about that particular aspect over time. A lot of companies die from boredom or the founders giving up on it versus running out of money or any business reason. And I take that to heart. I'm really trying to have a long-term focus and build something for the long-term. Do you think Grishma from 10 years ago would have listened to that advice? I mean, she's always been hard-headed, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah, it's maybe this is part of what we're programmed for in a school setting and stuff like that i think we're supposed to graduate from high school at a certain age and go to college and then maybe you consider grad school and it's all based on time and milestones based on time but startups of course moving fast is very important but if you don't reach a certain milestone at a certain time, that's not a reason to give up. You've got to think about how it all fits together and assess and be hardy to that. I think that maybe if I had talked to Reshma from 10 years ago at a point when she was making all these decisions, maybe it would have been impactful. I don't know. It's hard handling the human that's inside of the founder, especially yeah. when we surround ourselves with TechCrunch articles proclaiming someone else has raised a gigantor round or whatever. Yeah, um, I try to minimize my tech press reading. It's good <laughs> to have intel, but it is in large part marketing material. And it's kind of like getting your knowledge about dietary from a restaurant trade magazine or something. It's not objective. If you go to open source communities, you would maybe get like even a bit more intel. Go look at GitLab and look at the commit history on their repo. See what their journey looked like, what they looked like six years ago. They're very transparent. I recommend to everyone to read their S1 because to me is a case study in this persistence and really thinking strategically and thinking long-term. I was actually reading y'all's commit history. And I quite enjoyed the like add G tag, just like the very on the ground, ugly things, yeah. not even ugly, just like chore things that everyone has to do when they launch a website. 
over and over. And I've probably done it dozens of times. And it's just right out there for everyone to see. And I think it's very human. And uh, absolutely humans. I think we are mission driven in that we really want this future with great healthcare applications at the level that are in other data analytics and fintech and stuff like that. We think it's good for the world and excited about it. The next question would be, what motivates you today and how has that changed over time? Earlier in my career, I was very motivated by career accomplishments and I kind of had a checklist of things that I wanted. Raise venture money for this, get into YC. It's almost like a badge collecting mentality. Now that has changed a lot. And those badges, I realized that they're really an external motivator versus an intrinsic motivator. And to me, I have developed my own taste over time about what a good implementation looks like, what a good app looks like. And that is my barometer now about success. And even if others don't notice it, but I look and I see somebody building an app with these certain characteristics, the sophistication, how quickly did they get there? That is what I think of as success. And I'm very committed to the idea that one success at a time is fine. It's the way to start. If there's a lot of entrepreneurs in the audience, it's very tempting to think about scale first, but developing your own taste about what's good and doing it even once, that's where I have changed over time. Externally motivated to internally motivated has been my evolution. I feel like every founder needs to hear this story. You're putting <laughs> good vibes out there. <laughs> it is very psychologically challenging. There's a bunch of us visiting group partners who are all starting again. Part of the calculus that you go through is how much of that mental chop can you take and how can you build up your fortitude to persist through those tough moments? So yeah, I'm with you. I think that there's a lot of personal stuff that goes into it. Don't know where everyone is in their life and like what other demands that they have, but it's attitude over aptitude in this particular case. <laughs> I love it. We spoke about how you were surprised that the developer persona at healthcare companies wasn't what you had expected. Were there any other major surprises with Medplum? It's still early. I continue to be surprised at the shape of healthcare organization, like the ratio of engine product to operations, compliance, and other functions. And that reinforces my interest in Medplum because if you have an organization that's five or 10% product and engineering, you would never really get the space to work on your infra. There's a big element of the market as well. We are fire centric and we think about the standard as being what the future looks like, but if that were somehow really to change, then that is a big issue. Wonderful. Thank you for this incredible conversation. Is there anything that you want to say before we sign off? Where can people find you and what should people reach out to you for? We are at medplum.com. And if you are building a medical app, like a patient portal or laboratory information system, custom EHR, that type of application, we would love to talk to you. We would love for you to check out our repo and look at all the source code. I'd like to leave you with this thought where we're opposite day in healthcare, where everything is like proprietary and you have no idea what's going on. We're a very transparent company. 
And we want you to see what's going on. And we want you to feel a sense of comfort and transparency with whatever system you're, you're dealing with. That's our goal, opposite day. And uh, hope to hear from some of you soon. Incredible. Thank you so much, Reshma. This episode of Founders and Builders is brought to you by Windly. At Windly, we fix allergies for life with personalized treatment plans that train your body to ignore your allergies. Our doctors use allergy immunotherapy to train your immune system to ignore its allergy triggers. By exposing you to naturally occurring allergens in gradually increasing doses, we fix the root cause of your allergies. Plus, the entire Windly experience is convenient and easy with telehealth visits and medicine sent right to your door. You never have to go to a doctor's office. If you want to live without allergies, then visit windly.com. That's W-Y-N-D-L-Y.com. Remember, life's better without allergies. Thanks for listening to Founders and Builders. Make sure to subscribe and share this episode with a friend. You can find more episodes at akash.io. That's A-A-K-A-S-H dot I-O. Or just find Akash on Twitter.